Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Glenn Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. assembling in the other room. Praise God. Yes, we declare they are the army, the end time army of lovesick believers. Amen. Praise God. Oh, yes. Uh, Yes. If anyone needs the notes today, they will help you because they've got the scriptures that we'll be kind of looking at today. Does anyone need need the notes? Just raise your hand. Our, uh, Our servants will do that. Praise God. As I just looked up, as Pastor Nate was praying, I just got the same picture in my spirit as I got uh, Friday night at our Good Friday service. As I looked across the room, I saw uh, those, you know, that insulation in, a, in an attic that you need to put in to, to insulate the house from the hot or the cold. I saw the Lord wanting to insulate our hearts with his word, especially in this hour of great intensified heat and uh and and so and from coldness from getting a cold heart and so i just pray that that happens uh not just today but throughout this time the lord wants us to be insulated not isolated from the body of christ insulated not isolated from his word and his voice and his heart so father i thank you for this time that i don't know all that happens is going to happen in the future. <clears throat> I thank you that it will be, there will be great things, there will be great moves of your spirit, but Lord, there are also things that may be bewildering, and Lord, I just pray for insulation of my heart, that I will grow closer to you, that I will fall more in love with you, and may this be said of your church in this hour, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I almost forgot. My wife uh, reminded me, you know, when your wife taps you, you know, that's, we just stop right there. And uh, she said, we, we are, our home group on Thursday night, we're, we're both, both Pastor Nate's group on Friday night, and our home group this Thursday night is, we're having Passover Seder, uh, which is, uh, it's a feast of the Lord. We didn't just turn Jewish, but it's in the, we're in the middle of Passover, and uh, there are seven feasts of the Lord, actually, Leviticus 23 says. And, and I just love to say it this way, God loves to party in a holy way. He has feasts. And so we're going to be having a feast at our house. Uh, Suzanne will be out in the lobby. We have some openings. So if you'd like to join us on Thursday night, that would be great. Amen. Well, we've already said it, but I want to say it again. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy, happy, happy. Regardless of whether you call it Easter or Resurrection Sunday, today is a big day for the church to celebrate. As um, Sloan, where's Sloan? They're right there. Sloan was telling me a week or two ago, he said, uh, he said, Easter Sunday is like the Super Bowl, the Masters, and the Final Four all wrapped in one for the church. Can I get a more from you, Sloan? Can I get a more, Sloan? Can I get a more? Can I get a more? Okay. <laughs> right on cue. Why is it such a big day? We're celebrating, as we know, the resurrection of Jesus. 
But it's such a big day because the truth is if the resurrection of Jesus never happened, then the gospel would be false, our faith would be futile, and we'd still be in our sins. But praise God, the gospel is not false, it's true. Our faith is not futile, it's real and living, and we are no longer stuck in our sins. Amen? Yes. Praise God. Well, that's, look at it, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, it's in your notes. Did I just make that up? No, it actually says it. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. In other words, the gospel's false. And so is your faith. Verse 17, and if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Romans 4.25 says, he, that's Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now, justification means justified. It's one of those big church words, justified, but to break it down, help us to all understand it, if you just put hyphens in the middle of that word, we are justified because of the resurrection of Jesus, just as if I'd never sinned. Now that is such a great truth. I mean, it is such good news, no matter how bad things may get, we can always be thankful for that, that he was raised for my justification. As an old vineyard worship leader said one time, David Roos in the 90s, he said, once I was on the road to hell, now I'm on the road to heaven. And so we celebrate that truth. As I thought and I prayed about <clears throat> what would the Lord would have for us to look at today. I felt like the Lord put a thought in my mind that was a pretty intriguing thought. I, I thought about the 40 days that Jesus spent in his resurrected body on the earth before he ascended to heaven. He was resurrected, and then he spent 40 days on the earth. And it's an intriguing thought because I was wondering, okay, I thought, I need to dig, dig this out. What, what did he do? Who did he meet with? What did he say? And why did he say it during those 40 days? You know, I, I was wondering about that, and I thought, you know, I don't believe that Jesus just thought, well, I've just got 40 days before I go to heaven, you know, like a 40-day layover. I think I'll just bump around Israel and play it by ear and, you know, walk through a couple of walls and, you know, go fishing by the Sea of Galilee, maybe, maybe walk on the road to Emmaus, see if I run into somebody. No, no. I believe the Father, His Father had a perfect plan for how Jesus would spend His time. He had a perfect plan, what He'd do, and what he would say. And in John 5, 19, we know Jesus had already said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And I only say what I see the Father saying, what I hear the Father saying. So I believe there was a very precise, specific plan being executed during these 40 days. Acts 1, 3 says, After his suffering, that's the suffering of Jesus, 
he presented himself to them, the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So I see two goals there. First goal in those 40 days was to prove to his disciples that he did indeed rise again, that it was his physical body. Second was to teach them lessons, parting lessons before he was going to go up to heaven for over 2,000 years. So he's like, I got, Father, I have 40 days. What do they need to know? What do they need burned in their heart, marked in their heart, so that they and the church can continue to thrive for centuries and centuries? That's my hypothesis, okay? I think there was a plan to this. And so there's a lot more to this, but I want to share four appearances of the resurrected Jesus to his disciples and to others during these 40 days that have lessons for us that I believe now more than ever they are so important for us to believe and walk in. Four appearances related to four lessons. So you're, you're number one there in your notes. I chose the one that where Jesus appeared right after he was, came out of the tomb. The stone was rolled away. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. And the, the lesson there is God can give you comfort and clarity in the midst of disappointment and confusion. John 20. Let's read it. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, the angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. She thought it was <clears throat> the gardener. So she sits there, she sees that, she, she looks at Jesus standing there. She didn't realize it was him. Jesus asked Mary Magdalene, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. It's first takeaway. I have three there listed in your notes from this encounter is in a time of disappointment and confusion, run to God and not from God. Mary was crying. She was disappointed. She was confused. She needed somebody to make sense of things. Mary was not running from God, though. Mary was searching for the Lord in the midst of her weeping. She wasn't running away from the Lord, cursing God. We know that by the way that she answered Jesus. In fact, Jesus asked her two questions. She didn't know it was Jesus, but she didn't even answer the questions. Why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? 
She didn't answer the questions. Actually, she could have gotten into a pity party right then. Why are you crying? She could have gone, oh, I'm so disappointed. And rightfully so, right? She could have thought, I was, I thought Jesus was going to set Israel free from Roman rule. I had so many plans for my life as I saw what Jesus was doing. And now none of those plans are going to happen. Now they're, they're, not gonna, they're, they're gone because Jesus died. Now, she had forgotten that Jesus said, in three days, I'm going to rise again. So that was not in her thinking because it was the third day. But she wasn't thinking that. But So in the midst of her, of her weeping, she could have gotten into a pity party and said, I'm crying because I'm so disappointed. But her focus could have been on her, but it, rather her focus was on one thing, finding the Lord. It reminds me of Song of Solomon 5, verse 8. It says, daughter, it's the Shulamite talking uh, to, about the bridegroom, about, uh, yeah, the Lord. And <clears throat> the Shulamite says, daughters of Jerusalem, tell me if you find him, for I am lovesick. That's what I sense when I read this about Mary Magdalene. It reminds me, and, and this is so interesting, as I was typing that, that thought out, Daughters of Jerusalem, on the, in the prayer room, live in the worship, they are singing, all I want is to be near you, to be with you where you are. She ran to him, not from him, in a time of confusion. And I'll be honest, there are times I've been so confused. Everything in me wanted to run from God and feel sorry and be upset and say, forget it. But I sensed the nudge of the Holy Spirit. He didn't yell, but he just said, Glenn, it's better to be with me where I am. Misty Edwards sings in the prayer room, the only safe place is to be with you where you are. So, that's a big lesson to me. That's the first takeaway. The second takeaway, it's in your notes, paragraph B. Jesus had made, remember, as I said, Jesus had made the promise in uh, three days. I'm going to be crucified. In three days, I'm going to rise again. But she has, had not remembered that promise, neither had the disciples. But once Mary realized that it was Jesus... Remember, he spoke to her and said, Mary. Once she realized that the promise that he had made actually came to pass, it made all the difference. It cleared up the confusion. It brought her clarity. It brought her joy and clarity about what was happening at that point. Because a, how many of you know when a promise actually comes to pass in your life, it clears a lot of confusion up, right? You're there, you're believing a promise, it's not happening, and you're kind of in a time of confusion and how long is this going to take, things like that. Well, seeing a promise comes to pass, seeing a promise come to pass makes things make sense. Don't get weary 
in doing good. So here's the, the second takeaway that I'm seeing for this. The second lesson is keep rehearsing the promises of God, even when you're confused. Keep rehearsing, keep speaking them out of your mouth, even when you're not sure what's going on and why it's taking so long. Keep doing it in due season. Know that he is faithful who has promised. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that, that all his promises are yes and amen. I remember back when I was in seminary in the early 80s, that's how old I am, I didn't have enough, I was at home in Albuquerque for the summer uh, in between semesters at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, and I didn't have enough money to get back to school in the fall. And I was working a, as an intern at a large church in Albuquerque, and they paid me $200 a month, which wasn't going to foot my bill when I got back to seminary in the fall. And the Lord specifically instructed me, don't tell anybody that you need money to go back. Don't tell anybody. And, uh, and so I didn't hear more clearly on that. I just, I, I landed on a promise, Ephesians 3.20. that says, my God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. And I latched onto that promise in June. July came. Latched not kept saying the promise, exceeding abundantly above all you all I could ever ask or think. Okay, Lord, getting close. August 15th, August 20th rolls around. Lord says, Don't tell anybody. Well, three or four and what came in my mind was, well, Glenn, pack your car, get ready to go. You know, I was ready to get a job there with the with the hours of seminary and do some things to make ends meet, but, but I was confused. It's like, wait, Lord, I, I, I know it's your will, but it's not happening. But Ephesians 3.20, you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above. So three days, four days before I left for seminary, my boss called me in to the office and said, hey, Glenn, um, some of the groups that you minister to at the church, they, they took up an offering for you. And she handed me three envelopes. She handed me an order. You know, she couldn't wait. She's like, here, you're going to, I'm just playing soccer up here with this water. <laughs> she handed me three envelopes. And the first one, she's like, here. And it was exceeding my tuition and book fee for the fall. I'm like, yeah. I didn't tell anybody. Then she said, oh, but wait. Hands me the second envelope. It was abundant because it then paid for a, a bunch of other stuff of, of needs for the semester. I'd still probably need a job, but it's like some for some, but I was like, yes. And she said, wait, she hands me a third envelope, and it's like three times larger than the other two envelopes. And so I'm like, I don't have to get a job. Not that a job's wrong, but I can stay in pro- focus and pray. And be totally spiritual and then get carnal because I probably should be working more. But <laughs> anyway, the Lord said, Glenn, you confessed the promise. You stood on the promise in the middle of your confusion. Rehe- rehearse the promises when you're in the middle of wondering 
It's better than living in a world of wondering. Say, what promises are God's word saying? I'm going to keep them saying them out of my mouth. So dust off those promises and declare them before God. Paragraph three. I'm not going to go forever on this. Third takeaway from his appearance to Mary. I've been asking the Lord why he asked Mary those two questions. Just, it's good to inquire in the temple. Ask God questions. He's, he's really not offended. Okay. He loves it when we ask him questions. I said, why? why did you ask her why she was crying? Why did you ask her who she was looking for? Because there's one thing I've learned about God. When he asks people for information, he's not looking for information. When he asks people a question, he's not looking for information. He knows the answer before he even asked the question. So it's like, why did you ask her those two questions? And I'm thinking, my opinion, he asked her those two questions because he wasn't looking for information. He was looking for something else. I can't say, say exactly what it was, but my opinion is he wanted to see her response to those questions. Her response was proof. It was proof that she wasn't in a pity party. Rather, she was in a search party. She wasn't in a pity party. She was searching. Have you seen my beloved? If you find him, tell him I'm lovesick. And of course, she thought he was dead but because she didn't remember the promise. But I believe he was looking for her response. You see, it moves the heart of Jesus when we search for him. Jesus wants us to want him. Not because he's got a big ego. He wants us to want him because he knows that in our wanting, in our longing... That's the very best thing for us because we were created to be lovesick after Jesus. It's the first and great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why is it the first and great commandment? Because when we make that, when we're on a search party going for for more of him, it meets the greatest longing in our heart, which is to love and be loved. Because if you're looking to love him with all your heart, then he fills you back with his love. And that's our greatest longing is to be loved and to love. And so I believe, just my opinion, pursuing loving God above all other pursuits, because Jesus knew her response would be that. Like, I'm not even answering your question. Where is he? Tell me where he is. Because he knew that was her response, would be her response. I believe Jesus was saying, I want to ask you that because when you tell me your heart, it's going to bring me great joy. It's going to move me to hear what you, how you answer that question. What, do you, what did you see when you walked in today on the first thing on the, the wall? Our number one goal at River in the Hills is to move God's heart. Just my opinion, it's my story, I'm sticking to it. I believe Jesus asked her that question because he knew her response 
would thrill his heart. I tell you, I want my pursuit of Jesus to move him. Amen. Second, his appearance to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee after they hadn't caught any fish. That's the second thing. This is in John 21. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee after they hadn't gotten, caught any fish. How many of you remember Jesus had led them out and they'd caught fish before, right? That was the, the pre-resurrected Jesus. Well, here he is in his resurrected body, and they were dejected, despondent, confused, because it was the same time he, he, they'd gone to the tomb. He wasn't there. They didn't remember the prophecies. They're like, oh, you know, Peter is probably really confused. He's like, I got to clear my head. I'm so confused. I'm so disappointed. I think I'm just going to go fishing. And so he says, I'm, guys, I'm going to go fishing. And, they, and some of the other guys go, well, we'll go with you. So they fished all night. Didn't catch anything. Let's look at this. After Jesus appeared, it's in Matthew 21. I edited down some of the the verses so you can just read along with me. After Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Afterward, Jesus appeared to them by the Sea of Galilee. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? He wasn't trying to rub it in, okay? They said, no, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, I I just can't resist to say this, but Jesus said, throw it on the right side and you'll get a blessing. That's for you, Sloan. Throw it on the right side. Never mind. He could have said left, but he said right. All right. But I digress. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. John is so blown away by this. Because, see, John's a professional fisherman. So is Peter. They're like, what? So they, they haul in this fish. John actually counts the number of fish. Verse 11, it was full of large fish, 153. So I can just see him with his little pad, one, two, three, because he's blown away by this. But even with so many, John wrote, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, I just got to throw this one in too. Jesus wanted to have breakfast with them. He could have just said, I'm going to take a little bite of fish to prove to you this is my body. But he's like, let's hang out. Let's have breakfast. So in those 40 days, I think Jesus was illustrating how important it is to fellowship with each other and hang out. And ask each other out to lunch when you have time. Just enjoy eating together, visiting together. Jesus was modeling that lesson. But the bigger lesson I want to share from this 
from this appearance is that Jesus was demonstrating that he is there and he is our ultimate source of provision. God's your source of provision, right, Derek? He's our ultimate source of provision. You know, I think we all struggle at times with how we're going to pay the bills, with how we're going to make ends meet, how we're going to meet our financial obligations. So in this situation, here they were, pro-fishermen. They hadn't caught anything after fishing all night, and they were worried, most likely, about how they were going to go forward financially, and they were worried about their whole future, right? Because their master and leader had died. And so there they were worried. Their master had gone and died. And so, as I said, they were not expecting him to rise again, even though he said he would. So the lesson for us, and you know it, but I just want to say it again, put your trust in the Lord as your provider to meet your needs. Now, it didn't just say, I'm putting my trust. How do we put our trust in the Lord as our provider? We meet certain conditions for God to provide for us. Certain conditions that prove we trust. Oh, Lord, I trust you. Well, there are things we do to prove. Not just, you know, it's like the Lord knows, but we need to prove to ourselves too. We meet the conditions of obeying him, obeying his word. We meet the conditions of uh, obeying his commands and obeying him in the tithes and offerings. We work hard. If you, meet the, if you obey the commands of the Lord and you obey the Lord in tithes and offerings and you work hard, he's going to provide for you. He will provide for you. That's who he is. So Jesus was showing them this right there on the Sea of Galilee. I remember as a new dad, Kyle was like 19, maybe one or two years old. Grace was a little older. I worked at the shoebox in Dallas. Uh, and um, I was also at a ministerial arts church there in Dallas. But uh, again, I needed and, and was all work is honorable before the Lord, by the way. So I'm at the shoebox selling shoes, ladies' shoes and little kids' shoes. And the way it was set up there in 1990-ish was you made 10% straight commission on whatever you sold. And so I'm driving into work from Rockwall, driving all the way into uh, to um, what part of Dallas? Valley View Mall, North Dallas. And I began to confess the promises of God every day. I began to thank God by faith. Like one day, depending on the day, I'd say, thank you for a $2,000 day. Which didn't mean I got 2000 meant I got 200 But back in 1990, that was a lot of money, right? So I start asking, thanking God because, and I was tithing. We were given to the Lord, but I needed to say it out of my mouth. Lord, I'm trusting you as my provider, and you know where to throw the net on the right side of the boat. And so here I am. Thank you for a $200 day. But on, by the way, the Saturday before Easter, I thanked him for a $3,000 day because I figured there's people lined up, okay? Now, the way the shoebox worked was there'd be so many people wanting to buy shoes, they would sign their name on a yellow pad, 
And then you would just, the different employees would check off and go next, you know, Suzanne Hubbard, you know, and then they come up. And I wasn't hitting my target, but after a while, my, my $2,000 day or $1,000 day, depending, <laughs> after a while, I began to consistently hit my target of whatever I was asking God for. And it got to be so, so, such a blessing, the other employees thought I was cheating. <laughs> they were mad at me. They're like, what are, you're skipping the line on what you're, I'm like, no, I'm not. I got to, I didn't really preach to them because they weren't in any mood to hear a, <laughs> hear a sermon. But it was like the person that, the, the, one, the person I would wait on the next bought a lot of shoes. They were working just as hard as I was. But I remembered that. You know, Suzanne and I never went without during those times. In fact, my, my children had some of the coolest kids' shoes around. <laughs> they had baby, baby Reeboks. They called them Weeboks. Anybody remember that? And uh, Toddler University. So they were like, wow. It's like, yeah, I work at a shoe store. I get a discount. So. I never questioned not tithing that whole time because I wanted to be in the flow of God's economy because I know he knows where to throw the net and how to throw it. Amen. Number three, we're landing the plane here. The third appearance of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, that is a lesson for us today. I want us to look at it. It has to do with what happened right after Jesus had breakfast with the disciples, with the fish they had caught. So Jesus, kept, they, they bring the fish, we'll, we'll eat breakfast with the fish. It was when Jesus restored Peter and delivered him from shame and guilt and condemnation. How many, how many of you remember what Jesus had done the night he was, I mean, excuse me, what Peter had done the night he was betrayed, but not the night Jesus was betrayed. He denied Jesus. He denied he even knew Jesus to a teenage girl. Three times he denied her. Now, can you imagine the angst and the guilt of walking around after that, knowing you denied the Lord? that you'd been with those years? Can you imagine? Well, I wonder if while they were eating breakfast by the Sea of Galilee, if Peter could even look him in the eye. They're just like, I don't know. The shame, the guilt, the condemnation. So let's read verse 15, John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my sheep. The big question to me was, why did Jesus ask Peter three times? When Jesus already knew that Peter loved him. And again, he wasn't asking to get information. So why did he ask him three times? Jesus wasn't looking for information. He was looking to release impartation. He was looking to impart to Peter the revelation that he was forgiven and released from guilt and the slate was totally clean because Peter had repented. Why three times? As I said, think back. Peter, with his own words, had denied Jesus three times. So Jesus asks him to declare his love for him three times to undo the three times he had denied with his mouth. He said, I'm going to have you say with your mouth the opposite so your declaration will cancel your denial. That's why. Three times, three times, to undo what he had done with his mouth, to declare his love for Jesus. Don't ever underestimate the power of your words. Talk to Jesus throughout the day. I do throughout the day. I mean, if somebody looked at me, they'd think I was a little off, but I know I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm being wise. I talked to him throughout the day. I just say, I'm going to open my mouth, break the sound barrier. I love you. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, thank you. I look out my window. I see my squirrels eating stuff. Thank you. You know, tell him you love him. Thank him. Ask him what's going on. Just, Just keep the conversation going. Thanking him for blessings. Thank him. Say, show me more. Just talk to him through the day. Because you know when you open your mouth and keep talking to him, the enemy won't be able to keep you in shame and guilt. You won't be able to do it. One more takeaway with this is I believe Jesus... uh, Worship team, if you could come up. Worship team. Jesus had Peter declare three times that he loved him. Because at the time... Peter wasn't sure in his own heart that he loved Jesus. You see, Peter's answer three times was, Lord, you know I love you. But I've messed up so bad. I don't know I love you. And that's what the enemy loves to do is look at you and say, look what you've done. You don't love him. So he said, Peter, I want you, it's going to take you three times to break through and know, not only do I know you love me, but now you know you love me. Because when you know you love him, you don't have to perform for him. You're in. You're in the club. You're loved unconditionally. So I think he was having him say that so that it could crystallize even in his own heart that he was no longer going to feel bad, that he doubted his love for Jesus, but then he realized, no, I know in my own heart I love you.
I'm not going to listen to those lies. I pray you settle that today. That if you've given your life to Christ and you feel bad when you sin and you want to come to God and ask him to forgive you, that proves you love him. Because, spoiler alert, not many people on the planet care when they sin about coming to God asking him to forgive them. But you do. No, settle it. You love him. Proverbs 24, 16 says, A righteous man stumbles seven times and rises again. What makes the man righteous isn't that he never stumbled. What makes the man righteous is that he rose again each time. That's what it is. So I encourage you. I pray today that deliverance would come. Anyone who's experiencing bondage or guilt or doubts that they love him. The fourth one, and I'll be real quick on this, is, and I had to add this because it's in Acts chapter 1. Jesus, just before he ascended to heaven, was going to be gone for 2,000 years. He's still in heaven right now, waiting to come back. He basically said to his disciples, y'all ain't going to make it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He told those disciples, wait, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so you can overcome sin, so you can be a witness for me. They needed the Holy Spirit back then, and we need the Holy Spirit today. He knew they would need that. Says one, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. We need the power of the Spirit to come upon us. Especially in this hour, when people are looking around, freaking out, when the power of the Holy Spirit's on you, they say, Abigail, why aren't you freaking out? What's different about you? How can you have joy in the middle of this? How can you have peace in the middle of this? And when they ask you, they just opened the door for you to tell them that you opened the door of your heart and asked Jesus in. I'm not better than you. I just opened the door and Jesus knocked and I opened the door and he came in. And he saved me, and I have the, the I invite, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit is on me. Would you stand up, if you would, to your feet? I want to give you the chance to open the door today. A precious little girl Friday night said, I want to ask Jesus in my heart. And I prayed with her out there by the water fountain out there, and I was right next to the door, and I just said, you know, it's, and I just opened the door. I said, just like I'm opening this door, you just opened the door of your heart. And she prayed. She understood. It was beautiful. 
Today we celebrate a risen Savior. Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. The Bible says we've all come short of God's standards, God's glory. And the penalty of sin is death, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Maybe you feel you're too dirty. Maybe you feel you're too guilty that God cannot forgive. God will forgive you. If you're willing to put your trust and faith in his son, Jesus Christ. He died for your sins and God raised him to life and he will come into your heart right now. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Just say, God, I've sinned. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I believe Jesus is your son. And I'd like to invite him to come into my heart. I want to trust him as my savior from this day forward and forever. Amen. If you prayed that with me, we sing a a final song. I'd like Pastor Kyle and the other leaders around to, to look around and with your eyes open and your head up because this is not a secret thing. It's not something to be, it's something to be excited about. If you prayed that prayer with me and you've opened the door and you've invited him to come into your heart, I want you to just raise your hand right now. Amen. Raise your hand. Amen. Keep keep raising your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Praise God. Just going to give you another another moment. One of these will come and pray with you. Anyone, Anyone else? Don't be shy. During this last song, the altar's open for you to come and ask for prayer, for anything on your heart. If you just come up and want to pray by yourself, it's fine. But if you want prayer for anything, I'd like our other prayer prayer leaders to come forward and stand up here. If you think you might be a prayer leader, that's you. We're going to pray. We're going to sing this song. Maybe you're coming for you need him right now to make sense of a perplexing situation in your family, your marriage, friendship, maybe in your ministry. Or maybe you're coming up for prayer and you need fresh faith to believe that God will provide for you. And you need him to come in and open the doors. What you need, he is what you need when you need it. Maybe you're coming forward to ask for prayer, to have guilt or shame broken off your life, taken out of your life. You can experience a clean slate today. Come forward and one of our one of our prayer leaders will pray with you. They'll get to you. Others will other we're just such a family. They'll come to you as well. If they see you here and you want prayer.
Maybe you need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit coming upon you in power. Maybe you're here today. You say, I've not been water baptized or I've been away from God and not today's my day. I want to be water baptized. Guess what? We've got a change of clothes here. The water is at, what's the temperature over there? The water's at, uh, the water's at 95. Well, you know, you got to get person. You say, well, that's too hot. Well, you know what? Hell is hotter. <laughs> come forward if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Derek, could you come on up, pray? Uh, I don't know who else. Who else is out there? I know you. Come out, come out wherever you are. Preston, could you come up and pray for some people? Let's sing as the altar's open. Just obey the Lord. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.